This is the LarryandFishers.com podcast. My name is Larry Lannon, and I'm honored to have today the two new leaders of the Fisher City Council. Selena Stoller has now been elected as the president of the Fisher City Council for 2021 as of the January meeting, and the vice president as elected by his fellow council members, David George, both the Fisher City Council members of longstanding. And George, I think if, or David, I think if you go all the way back to the town days, you are the longest serving council member, am I right? 19 years. So you've, uh, you've got the seniority in that sense. So thank you very much for both uh, agreeing to join me today because the council has a lot of issues coming up, and we're going to talk about those today. I'd like to start off with uh, the first. Uh, in the last council meeting, Councilwoman uh, Jocelyn Vare proposed a new system of evaluating appointments for city boards and commissions with uh, diversity as a component of deciding who serves. Her proposal was rejected on a 7-2 party line vote, uh, but uh, once that vote was done, there was really no comment from any of the other council members on that issue. There were some statements were issued after the fact, and I'll get to that in a moment. But anybody watching that video would realize there was really silence about the substance of what Congresswoman, Councilwoman Vera was, was proposing in that particular point. And she mentioned that Republican, to the Republican council members, that 80% of the appointees right now are, are white males. Now I've been in my 10th year of covering news here in Fishers. This is not a new thing. It has been going on for a long time. So I guess the question I would ask each of you, and I'd ask Selena to start, why when that was brought up did you not speak up, either defend the current system or suggest something else needs to be done? Well, Larry, I'd like to provide a little bit of background on the situation. Um, first of all, I want to say the, the city leads by thoughtful, intentional action designed to lead systematic change, not by pulling something together at the 11th hour. The city has had over one year of interrupting racism. Uh, we've had community meetings. We've hired the city, the administration has hired a consultant for phase one and hired a diversity consultant for phase two. The board composition um, appointees, Larry, I think as you know, are made by the Delaware Township Trustee, the Fault Creek Township Trustee, the commissioners, the administration. The council only really has a few appointments, and minorities were placed in some of those appointments. But we have to look at the public servants who commit time and talent to the city. For example, Warren Harling has dedicated many years of service to the community and that needs to be appreciated and respected and we need to continue to develop that next generation of community leaders that is inclusive of all she complained of people having multiple appointments um you know for example i've been appointed to the plan commission as part of the plan commission there has to be a plan commission member that goes on to the plaque committee we have more than one person there and several appointments. Um, the BCA has members that have to be on the plan commission. And I'm not sure that Councilor Vair understands the complexity of these appointments. I was a little bit surprised by some of her statements. Um, Councilor Vair's approach was, in my opinion, uh, unrealistic 
and individualistic. Um, she really didn't seek to work with other counselors. I had two conversations with her about the desired outcome and the willingness to work on this issue in advance of the meeting. I agreed with her on many of her points, but expressed that the time to work on evaluating the appointment process was in the second or third quarter. At that time, the process could be evaluated and revised if needed. Counselor Zvair's request requires shutting down certain aspects of the city for months, as this is not a process that can be done within 30 days. In Fishers, again, we lead by thoughtful and intentional action and do not respond to last-minute requests that have not been thought out. She emailed the entire council on Monday morning, clearly last minute. Councilor Vare was invited to participate. However, with such actions as these, she's damaging relationships, and, and I've tried to explain this to her. To legislate, to promote change, and to effectively lead, you have to be collaborative and build those relationships. I've tried working with her on this. And I'm hopeful that Councilor Vare will decide to work collaboratively, thoughtfully, and intentionally moving forward. When one presents themselves in this manner, they will be embraced for their views, intellect, and respect for their ability to lead. So, David, I'll ask you the same question. You had the opportunity to, to make some kind of statement, either um, defend what's happened in the past or to propose something going forward in the future when this was uh, – so uh, when this was proposed by Councilwoman Vare, tell me, why did you decide not to speak up at that point? Well, I guess now it's you're supposed to respond to every single thing at every minute. So I've been here 19 years, and I've always been very, uh, I think, very effectual. I've, uh, I'm an engineer. I just deal with details as I get them. And I did get an email that day, just that day. I had no chance to really think through and, and analyze anything. So let me back up a little bit. Over 19 years... I've been aboard uh, the council, uh, both of the town and as a city. Uh, we've had different committees at different times. When you're a town, you can obviously um, do more than when you're at a city. The mayor has certain functions. The council has certain functions. So ours are, like uh, Selena said, down to you know, 10 or 15. Um, and I've been aboard uh, different interviewing committees where we've sent out uh, – I'm going to date myself, but this is before even really email. We would put it in the newspaper. Anyone that would like to be on a committee, you know, come on in. And we would uh, literally interview them. That's different town managers from Mike Booth to Gary Huff to, to Scott Fadness. And we would sit in a room. We would go through all the different people that wanted to be on. And quite honestly, every single person that wanted to be on got to be on something. Sometimes it wasn't exactly what they wanted to be on. But over time, we were able to work them in. Uh, one person comes to mind, I think, is Cindy Davis, who I met almost 20 years ago. When she, she came in, she wanted to be on – she always said, I want to be on parks. And if I re remember correctly, it was something else in the beginning, and then we uh, were able to find a slot on the parks department, the parks board, and she's been there um, ever since. But the reason I didn't, I guess, speak up, I didn't look at it as speaking up or not. I just looked at it as a proposal that I didn't really have time to, to hear from. And if somebody had come to me, I don't, I don't get into this majority-minority. The people didn't elect a majority and a minority. They elected people to be on a council and nine people to work for them and a mayor to work for them. So when somebody comes with a proposal, I don't care whether they're on one side or the other. I'll, I'll sit there and listen to it. But when it's the day of or an hour before, I don't have time to, to fully 
uh, go through that. Now, if I had, I would have suggested let's do what we've done in the past because, as you know, I go to about 25 HOA meetings a year. Uh, most people, they don't really love to go to their own HOA meeting. I go to 25 a year. And when you're there, I always try to interact with people and say, you know, different things are important to different neighborhoods, whether it's, um, you know, paving roads, things like that. But then I also mention if you want to get involved, you want to do things, uh, you know, feel free to, to send things in. And, of course, I date myself because now we do have emails. We do have um, the Internet, and we do have the website, and you can submit it electronically. And I know that we go through all of those uh, applications. And it does not say, well, this council member submitted it. This council member told me to go. It's just I'm a Fisher's resident. I want to get involved and, and get incorporated into things. So I didn't say anything that night just because I, I just viewed this as, as something that you know we can, we can take up as time goes on. Now, let me speak, if I may, a little bit about um, I think I'm very proud of this community and the other things that we've done. I looked uh, this morning, and I know that we have boards and commissions, and that's really how you interact with the public. The council interacts with the public and other things. But I think it's more important to look at what some of the, uh, the town and city departments do. That's police and fire. Uh, our police department has been accredited since 2003, and our fire department since 2004. I simply point that out because – when they uh, were getting accredited, it was right when I got on the council. And it was something that they went through. I think Mike Johnson was on the on the police side. I can't remember on the fire side. But it took almost a year to go through. So it's not something that you call and you get a sticker saying you're accredited. It's something that I think it's over 400 categories. You assess yourself. Uh, national people come in and assess how you assess yourself. And part of that is implicit bias. Part of that is all the other things that we go through. So I think it's it's very important for the public to know that most of our police and fire and a lot of our other uh, people are accredited, and that's what that means. So the people that interact with the public on a daily basis uh, are, are adhering to the, the policies and procedures that we want. Now, there were some issues, obviously, last year uh, throughout many communities in the country, and you're seeing a lot of police departments make changes. And quite honestly, they're making changes to what we have already had since 2003. I know that wasn't part of your question, but really in addition to just boards mm -hmm. and commissions, I think it's important for the public to know how all of our police and fire and other professionals interact with the public and the training that they get. Well, and they're very the fire and police departments are very proud of that accreditation, and I am somewhat familiar with that. that and you do get a lot of public input. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yes, I do agree. Other communities are looking for that same accreditation we've had it uh, for many years i know every year it comes around i i do end up uh, hearing from uh, representatives of police and fire as they go through that process and it is an annual process and uh, to something that you said selena i'm very familiar with warren harling some people call him butch mm -hmm. he's uh, been involved for a long time and i was there the night he got the key to the city yes uh, and uh, he very much earned that and there are a lot of good people who are serving i never I never tried to say anything other than that. But I have one last question for each of you before we move on to other issues. Um, I guess the, the question I would ask each of you is, will, in your view, will the council change the – and again, only the appointments the council has, has only certain appointments. I fully understand that. They don't get all the appointments. But all the appointments the council makes to these boards and commissions, do you think there will be a change in the system? And if so, how would you like for that to look? David, I'll ask you to start then. Yeah, if different count, like I said in my first answer, if different council people, I don't care whether you're RD, I don't care what side you're on. If you want to make an appointment, great. I just, I didn't have an appointment from other council members uh, bringing it forward. Uh, like Selena said, I think three of them are, for instance, on the plant commission, we've simply just had council people because 
Uh, it sounds easier than it maybe is that, hey, let's just put some new people on things. Sometimes when you send these information, these things out, you don't get as many people as you think you might. But in summary, if different council people have different people that they would like to, to submit, great. Let's put them on. So, Selena, do you think there should be change? If so, how would you like to see that? You know, I, I want to agree with uh, Councillor George and that if councillors have people that have come to them within the community that want to be on these uh, boards and commissions, you know, definitely they need to be stepping forward. We do need people who are willing to dedicate to the city. As far as the process, it, you know, I work in the financial industry. We have lots of pro processes, procedures. We are continually evaluating them. I mean, some of them we are legally mandated every year to evaluate those. I am one that I feel that, you know, when we have policies and procedures that we need to go back, look at them, evaluate them, and have a discussion about should they be changed. Can I say there's going to be change in those policies and procedures? Maybe it's just working with the ones that we have and to better implement them. So I don't want to say that there's going to be change. Do I think there are validity in some of Councilor Vare's uh, comments that she made? You know, yes, I do. And I do think that those need to be taken into consideration in moving forward. I want to move on to some other issues because you have a lot to deal with in the council in the coming year. And on the day we record this, which is February the 1st, Indiana has just announced they're allowing people 65 and over to register for COVID vaccination. Uh, I attended the opening ceremony for the mass vaccination site at the Old Marsh Grocery on 116th Street uh, near Brick School Road. The city's done an excellent job putting that uh, facility into shape. I would certainly suspect it's going to be a very busy place once more vaccine becomes available. Selena, I know you were there for that ribbon-cutting ceremony. Uh, uh, do you think that we will be able to get enough vaccine, or have you been able to, to find out how the vaccine supply is going to really utilize that facility to its fullest? You know, Larry, that's the million-dollar question that I think everybody around the country is asking. Can we get enough vaccine? You know, I, I think we're ready if we have it. I think we probably have one of the largest uh, sites in the state to put to administer vaccines. And I'm proud that Fishers was able to pull that together, not to just serve our residents, but to help out other residents within the state and glad that we could be a leader within that. As far as the amount of vaccine that we're gonna be able to get, you know, that's dependent on how many the federal government sends to the state and then how many that they send to Fishers. But I'm hopeful that with having one of the larger uh, vaccine sites within the state, that we're able to get a good number of those vaccines. I'm trying to remember, David, I, were you there at the ribbon cutting? I, I, no, there was I, so, you yeah, were not able to. day job took, a, <laughs> took its toll. That does. Itself. I know you all have a real jobs outside the council, but I'm sure you've had a chance to see that facility. Sure. Uh, tell me you, how you view moving forward sure. on that big facility that's just been opened. Yeah, uh, actually, you and I, who have actually been through COVID, um, it's, I'm, I'm glad the word of the stage where they've identified how to do a vaccine. And I think you and I might have talked, maybe it was somebody else, but uh, November of 2019, before it was even, I think it was here in like March of last year, uh, my, we were talking about it at Thanksgiving in my family, mm -hmm. that it was floating around China and it was going to get here, and it, it did. It obviously did uh, very rapidly. Um, 
So I'm glad that in that short period of time, really, when you think about it, they do have a vaccine. We have multiple vaccines, and we've got single and double dose. Hopefully the single is the one that becomes the the one of the land. Um, I think, like Selena said, it's exactly what you need to have, a big open space so that you can get a lot of people in and out. I know when they first did the vaccines, I saw different people go in, like Vice President Pence at the time. Uh, we need we need people running in and out and getting it, not the, the photo op thing. So hopefully we can get to that point. And I think we are. And like Selena said, they have a big enough spot. You have a big enough capacity than the, the vaccine. I think the doses will be here and be able to get through. And hopefully we can get through this and we can actually turn that marsh into something that we really want, which is economic development. But for the time being, it's there and it's, it's a good resource, centrally located for the community. And I hope it does its, uh, its purpose. The next group of people were the 65 to 69-year-olds. I know you two have no... Uh, authority over this. The state makes these decisions. There's been a lot of discussion amongst the teacher community, uh, the Teachers Association and all the teacher unions in Hamilton County and many of the school boards, including our local school board, have petitioned the governor to let teachers get in that line to to get the vaccine. Do you have any personal view on that, David? Uh, I've had to work the entire year. I think everybody, and I'm in an industry where uh, we were man- I don't you want to use mandated, but we were mandated to go to work. So I have not been working from home for an entire year. So I've had the social distancing, the everything that we're supposed to do, and I still got it. So my point is, every industry is going to raise their hand and say that we're the ones that need to get it. I understand teachers are, are, are there. And if you're not there, if you're in a quarantine, it's very hard to get enough substitute teachers. So I know that that's very important. And I'm one that said even publicly, we need to make sure that these kids are in school face-to-face because that's from a mental health standpoint and also just their interaction and if you have four years of high school and you miss one year that's 25 percent of your growing time and it's not just going to class it's the other thing so i'm not going to answer that i think one industry is better than another i'm only going to say that i I had to work so i never raised my hand and said i have to have the vaccine first the odd thing is and this is not a council guy talking this is just david it's almost like you almost need the 20 and 30 years, the 30 year olds, are the ones that are running around doing all the different things. And one of the, they're the ones that need to get vaccinated. It's almost like that. Cause they're the ones that maybe have the, um, have the virus inside them, but don't show symptoms. And uh, I guess at the end of the day, every industry could raise their hand and say that uh, they're more important than another. And teachers are obviously right there at the top, but so is police and fire and a lot of others. Well, um, the police and fire, I think they've had theirs. So that I think they're already the first mm-hmm. responders should have been uh, very, very towards the top, and they are, and as are the uh, medical staff. Selena, any thoughts about teachers and their views about being moved up in that uh, list of getting the vaccine? You know, this is, as you stated, it's something that is determined by the governor. It's really all the state that determines this. Um, I, I agree with Councilor George in that, you know, we're all in this together. And, you know, how we determine, you know, which profession should have them, you know, you have frontline workers, whether it's the medical profession, whether it's the police, the fire, you know, what about the grocery workers? You know, thank God they went to work in all of this. So to have one industry to raise a hand over another, you know, we're kind of all in this together, and I'm going to support whatever recommendations that the state makes. Staying with you, Selena, uh, Mayor Fadness took a lot of political heat when he established the Fisher's Health Department. Now, I'm on record as saying I thought 
he did the right thing, and the council has backed him on this. Uh, how would you evaluate uh, how the Fisher's Health Department has worked? We're less than a year into it, but uh, how would you evaluate it? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, I want to say, again, we have one of the probably one of the state's largest vaccination sites. Um, I think that says tremendous for what they have done. Um, for nearly the $2 million allocated to the health department, that was reimbursed by the state or federal government that we a- allocated to them. Most of all of that was. To date, we provide 39,110 free tests to our residents. The city leased the old marsh, and we're going to be able to vaccinate 1,600 people per day if the state going back to that question, can provide us with the vaccines to do so. Um, You know, compared with the county health department, Fisher's residents, I feel that we've received personalized and streamlined services at a lower tax rate than the county health department is assessing in 2021. So I think that it was a wise decision, and I think the mayor has done a fabulous job in pulling together a leading health department within the state. David, uh, your views on the Fisher's Health Department? Uh, obviously, I voted for it at the time, and um, it was very quick because obviously things were happening very quickly. Um, but I know that uh, Mayor Fadden has spent uh, several months working through the, the proposal, so it was not that weekend and that day of the vote, um, even though it was a uh, maybe um, quicker from the public's mind, but it was uh, fairly, it was well thought out and a reason. Um, I'm going to talk personally. Obviously, uh, I had COVID. Uh, I took two tests. One was through um, a site in Nora that went through the state. I'm just not pluses or minuses. I'm just stating facts. And then I took a second one because I was positive and I thought, I don't really feel that bad at that time. And I took one through Fisher's. So I had two tests from two different labs from two different sources, and they were both positive. So I told me, well, I guess you have it. And then I stayed home. And what happened was when I turned positive, the very next day, Fishers called me and said, this is what you need to do. I think most people know, stay away and things like that, but maybe some people don't. But I got a call the very next day, and this is not a knock. It's just what happened. Uh, over two weeks later, the state called me for the other test. And I was already back at work. And I just thought <laughs> – uh, here's something that I'm just stating. I had one test from this place and one test from this place, and I got a call quicker with very specific uh, requirements on what I needed to do. So I think from that standpoint, it was very helpful. Um, some of the other things I know that uh, different restaurants and other things maybe we focus on, I'm not entirely on board with that. But at the same time, we don't get a vote. We get a vote on whether you have a health department. And many of those functions, I think, outweigh um, what, the, what the negatives were. Because like I said, what if I was somebody that – and granted, hopefully people know the distance when you're positive, but if they don't, and they don't know really who to call, um, the Fisher's people helped me, who I needed to talk to, who I'd been um, close to, so that um, at least that spread did not happen for me. I was able to, to get ahead of it. Um, two weeks later, it was a little bit too late. So, Yeah, you know, I, I think I've been public about the fact that I've had COVID as well, and I went to a testing site recommended by my doctor, got a positive test, and let's say I just, I had the symptoms, I knew I had it, I didn't need a second test but i didn't hear from any contact tracers for two or three weeks and by that time it really wasn't of any any value to anyone let's move on to another subject because recently um the council had a work session about the comprehensive plan 
And for those who don't know what that means, uh, it basically details the long-term issues, property use, transportation, infrastructure, some other things. Uh, writing that plan was a big project originally. I know there was at least 100 people, maybe more, who were, had input into that and worked on committees. And now uh, you had a work session recently where you and the mayor and others talked and put the plan, the department talked about where you go from here on that uh, comprehensive plan, which which is now a few years old. So let me ask uh, Selena t- uh, to tell me, where do you think the council's going next on working on, on the, any updates that are needed on that comprehensive plan? We have several groups, several subcommittees that are meeting within that. We have uh, future land use, housing and neighborhoods, transportation, parks. Each one of these has questions that they're trying to answer. So, for example, the future land use is looking at what are the important questions around the land use that we need to address. They're looking at areas for special study and trying to determine what should the city's intent for the land use in these areas or other characteristics around that be. With neighborhoods, we're looking at housing diversity. What what should we do to achieve a better balance of housing for every housing stock for every stage in life? Um, you know, we're looking at existing neighborhoods. We have some older neighborhoods, both in my district and in Councilor George's district. You know, how do we help these neighborhoods be sustainable? We're looking at affordable housing. Um, you know, parks. They're looking. Um, they're doing a gap analysis and they're looking at existing parkland utilization and programming for the arts. Um, Transportation, they're looking at pedestrian safety, road maintenance and investment. And I'm going to let Councilor George speak on that one here in just a moment. Um, And and the Allisonville corridor on 116th Street. But Councilor George, would you like to comment on some of the Infrastructure? Yes, I know, uh, Councilor George, you've been very instrumental in that. Your engineering background uh, obviously lends itself to that. So your views on moving forward with the comprehensive plan. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm an engineer. Nerd factor is pretty high with me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, the comp plan, believe it or not, uh, it's a 20-year plan from 2020 to actually 25-year plan. Is that right? Um, so we're actually five years in. I thought it was a couple years in, but we're actually five years in. And when we've had meetings with different staff people, different staff people are in charge of the four um, categories that were mentioned. And it's, it's pretty neat to hear that there are little subcategories of which those 100 people came up with five years ago, and they're actually keeping a running tally. We've met um, 20% of these um, action items that we're trying to do. So part of what we're doing now is to figure out how many action items do you have? Do five years change? Do you have new action items? Or do you have others that have already been solved or maybe are, are non-existent now? So, for instance, on land use and transportation, part of what's happened over the last few years is now you have State Road 37 getting upgraded. And I think it's a benefit for Fishers, but it's also a benefit for Noblesville. I mean that positively and negatively, meaning uh, US 31 was fully upgraded. That helped Carmel, but it also helped Westfield. So a business could go to Westfield now and say, I can get through Carmel, where before they'd say, I – I need about 20 or 30 minutes to get through here, so I'm going to locate in a different spot. I only point that out because now 
all four communities, the big ones in Hamilton County, are going to have a little bit of an equal footing. So we need to look at maybe some of our land uses that will change on that corridor. And that corridor could technically be from 96th Street all the way up to 146th Street. So we're taking a look at some of those things. Um, also, um, what uh, Selena had mentioned was uh, some of what I've done over the last 10 years, along with staff and um, first town manager Scott Fadness and Mayor Scott Fadness, and he's been wholeheartedly in support of this, is I believe that we need to update our roads in our older areas, not for just the updating of the road, but also so that that neighborhood continues to thrive and increases in value over time. I guess I'm of an age where uh, most people, uh, if you're of a certain age, you're probably not going to know that your house price sometimes doesn't go up. Nowadays, you just list it and it sells. Well, there was a time in 2005, six, seven, things like that, where it didn't happen. So if you don't maintain a lot of these assets, uh, and when I say that, I mean pave the streets from curb to curb, not the little patches, and then update the ADA rounds for accessibility and things like that. So we've been working through that um, over the last number of years uh, so that we now have our budget. It's about four to $5 million a year, which is where it needed to be. Um, so now we're headed in the right direction. So the neighborhoods is every HOA meeting I go to. If they haven't been paved yet, their question is, when are we going to get paved? And in the past, you would always say, well, yes, you need to be paved, but maybe the money wasn't there. So now we are allocating the resources uh, effectively so that we can get to those neighborhoods. Yes, I've sat through many meetings, and I, I, can, I can vouch for what you're saying. You have always been a, an, a, an advocate of, of that. And the, the, the council and the mayor took some chances has to wheel tax to fund some of that work uh, so that is beginning to pay off now i try to keep these at 30 minutes but to give both sure. of you a chance to give a full answer do you mind if we go a little over that okay um i want to uh, selena you've already talked about this and i'll ask david to, to start off there is a proposal from a nonprofit group called hand they've done a number of uh, housing projects in hamilton county and, and, and uh, neighboring uh, areas and I think this may be their first project in Fishers. They plan on constructing, uh, and I, would, I guess I would describe them as cottages. I've seen the plans for them. It's not apartment, it's, it's, it's single family housing, small uh, types of, of, of housing units. It's an affordable housing plan. It's uh, right on, on Cumberland Road near 141st Street in an area that is, has not yet been developed. Uh, we're, Recording us on February 1st, there'll be a planned commission hearing on it just a couple of days after we record this. So based on what you have seen of these plans, it will be coming back to the council after the public hearing and the advisory vote by the planned commission. Are you, do you tend to be supportive of this project, David, or just tell me what your reaction is if you're not ready to, to take a stand on it? Sure. Um, not really a stand yet, but I'm actually thinking through the different uh, things. As you know, as an engineer, I put a line down on a paper and I think through positives and, and um, not negatives, but just things. Um, this is a great organization. Um, they serve a, a great need for the, I think, the overall public. Um, the thing I'm trying to think through now is that we also have two projects that are not even open yet that serve somewhat of the same um, type of use. Uh, one is on 106th Street, just west of where uh, Hub and Spoke and Stupleworth is. Uh, that is um, age requirement and then also income requirement. And then we have another one in the downtown that I think is about 60 to 70 units. And that's uh, not age restricted, but it's also income restricted. So I'm trying to think through how many do you bring online at one time? And then uh, kind of folding back into our previous question, this is very close to that 37 corridor. And as that becomes open, 
is this an area where maybe it was a little bit closed again, stoplight after stoplight, or maybe there's a better use. I'm not, it's not negative to that particular group and the use that they're trying to do, but is that particular piece of property uh, maybe going to become a better use when that, um, when that roadway opens up? Selena, your reaction? You know, on this project, I take it back to the 2040 plan. And as uh, Councilor George has stated, we have brought several uh, income-based housing online. When I take it back to the 2040 plan and I really look at the housing stock that we have, we have apartments. We are increasing the number of income-based apartments. But if somebody wants to step out of that apartment and into home ownership, I want to be able to provide opportunities for people of varying income levels to own a home within our community. I look at these smaller homes that they have there as an opportunity for home ownership rather than I would rather see that than them being as a rental. I think that providing that starter home, that home that two people on a fixed income could afford and provide them with that opportunity, I would much rather see that because I feel that that's part of the stock plan for our 2040 plan. That's something, that's a product that we're missing. That's part of the housing stock that we're missing there. But the proposal is as a rental as of, we, as of this moment, right? It, it yeah. is. Okay. Just to make sure the yeah, I, I was gonna say I, I yeah. love the product that they have. I just you know I just wish it was providing the opportunity for home ownership. But I think it's sorry. Sure. I think yeah. kind of what you're mentioning is what was in the original proposal from the executive director, and that is what they do is they think of it as obviously it's an acronym, but hand up mm-hmm. is what they try to do is we want to or I shouldn't say we they want to get people into this um, rental as a stepping stone for um, the home ownership. I think is maybe what you were thinking of too, but that's uh, one, one directive that they have. I want to talk a little bit about the budget. Uh, actually, I think Fishers has come out pretty well because uh, I do remember when the budget was being fashioned last year for this year, and we were dealing with COVID that there were uh, very serious concerns about the city budget. And actually, things have turned out better than anyone expected for this year, 2021. Uh, the employees of the city got a small raise. There were uh, most of what is being done is being funded, for the most part. I guess the question I would ask you is: We're still in uncharted territory here. We don't know what will happen next. We don't know what economic hits are going to happen. Um, I'll ask David to start. Uh, how careful should the council be? That's a big part of your responsibility, working with the mayor and approving the final budget or supplemental budgets, anything that may come along uh, uh, during the year. Um, what do you think uh, city needs to – are we doing a good job of, of, of uh, being vigilant about what may or may not happen as we move along in, in 2021 on the budget side? Uh, I think we're doing a good job. Uh, we've got the rainy day fund, which is not just a – it's not a, just a random number. Uh, there's a specific number that we have so that basically half of your expenses through the year – that's what we keep in a rainy day fund. For instance, your tax, like you as a person, your taxes are paid every six months, so you have big expenditures as a city, and that's why we keep that number there. It's a very specific number for a very specific reason, and you find out during bad times when people plan during the good times for that eventual bad time, um, we're not through this. We're not through this at all. I'm not saying the bad things are coming, but uh, every whether you're a, 
a person in your job or a municipal person like us that needs to watch the budget, I think that we need to be very vigilant. And the reason I say that is everybody remembers the Great Recession, 2008, 9, and 10. But what they don't remember is that it started in 2005, 6, and 7. There were little signs that were happening. Some jobs maybe weren't there. Uh, I could have listed your house, and you would have sat there, and I would have said, maybe somebody will come by and look at it in nine months. And I'm not being over dramatic because that's exactly what was happening. So the housing prices were starting to go down. And my point is it's it's kind of like a, a train where all the different cars move in succession. So if things slow down in one area, they kind of slow the other things down. So I think that we're okay when I look at different things in the economy, but I watch all the little stresses happening to small businesses, happening to medium businesses, and obviously happening to, to big um, uh, big, um, um, can't even think of the word, big industries mm-hmm. like the cruise industry. We don't have a cruise industry here, but everything's interconnected. Uh, the RV industry, which is going good, but maybe not. Uh, the airline industry, everything's connected through through Indiana and all the other places of the country. So some of those industries have these continual shocks. That's what could lead to maybe jobs not being there in, in the range that people need. And if people live here, then that will change uh, the home ownership, which it has a ripple effect. So that's what I kind of watch. So we're doing great. We've got a rainy day fund. It's specifically there at a certain level. And that's how we've planned. And uh, the good thing about municipal government, too, is you can see these things coming because if bad things happen in the economy, they're going to reach you in a couple of years. So you can plan, but you can't react in a couple of years. You need to plan years in advance for that. So I think we're well positioned. But at the same time, I don't think that, hey, you know, we're through the COVID situation yet. I think there's more to come. We need to be vigilant. Uh, Selena, your thoughts? You know, I, I work in the capital markets, and I always tell people, uh, roller coaster rides that make me sick. And, um, you know, last year we had a lot of roller coaster rides within the capital markets. And I hate to say it, but I don't think we're off of the roller coaster yet. I think we're still going to see lots of ups and downs um, throughout the economy. And I do believe that it is all interconnected and that we are going to continue to do that. But last year, the pandemic, it, it wrecked havoc on a majority of communities throughout the country. And Fishers was very well set through the fiscal leadership that we have. We were in a great position to weather that storm. One of the few communities that actually provided our employees with a raise, which I think was probably very appreciated within these tough times. Um, I think as we look forward, that we'll continue to look at the budget as we maneuver this roller coaster ride that the economy is going to be on, and that we may need to maintain that strong fiscal leadership. And I think that the council, along with the administration, will look to increase and add to the rainy day fund. At this point, uh, what I'd like to give you both an opportunity to do is to just talk about what other issues that the council will be facing this year and uh, any other comments you want to make as we close this out. And Selena, I'll ask you to start. You know, I think um, one of the things that we'll be working on that you'll see working on around the community this year is the nickel plate construction. I think that's going to be moving forward. Uh, we'll be doing the tunnel under 126 or under 116th Street. Um, yeah, I know we're going to get a few calls about that. Is what I want to say. Um, and the traffic will be rerouted at some point this summer. That's the uh, that's the plan. So. Um, 
You know, but I think once it's done, it's going to be a great amenity to provide that walkable community that we strive uh, to move forward with. I think another thing that you're going to see us um, working on is the investments at Geist Park, um, the gateway entrance, the retaining walls, and the earthwork um, in preparation for Phase 1B will be completed this year. But I'm sad to say that the much-anticipated Beach, playground, and shelters, well, that's probably not going to be completed until next year. So uh, we, we have a time to wait for that great amenity to come online, but it will get there. So I think those are some of the final updates that I have. But thank you for this opportunity, Larry. Well, thank you. And I, I do remember the mayor telling me all the permits they had to go through. It's a long process to do a park right on a lake like that. Uh, David George, sure. uh, your chance to what, what you foresee for the council and any other comments you'd like to make? Yeah, uh, some of that I've gone through a little bit, but I'd like to just redouble on a lot of things that I look at before, just uh, the different road networks. And I don't look at it just for the roads because the roads lead to other good things that happen. For instance, I think 96th Street getting upgraded. Uh, we had talked about 96th Street um, from basically where the Donatos is east, uh, where Sergeant Road has a roundabout and things like that. And I'm working with those neighbors uh, on some buffering and things like that. But what I'm bringing up in this topic is from the interstate east. And Mayor Fadness and I had talked about that uh, several years ago now that uh, is a little bit of a patchwork of, of paving. So if you could clear cut it and get it all brand new. And then also I didn't anticipate, but they were able to get in uh, some of the tree tree areas and things like that. So it's going to soften it, give it that residential feel. And I think that's why Knowledge Services or not knowledge services, but Memory Ventures uh, looked at the marsh there at 96 and Lantern. So when you change the road network and make it look a little bit more residential or just make the investment, then the neighboring community will come in and uh, and help that. So I think 96 Street with Roche on the one side and also um, the marsh getting a reuse on the north side, I think is going to help. Uh, last thing, I know that we talk about it from time to time, but just through neighborhoods and also um, some of our private roads, we've got to continue to work on those. Um, and I think that that, that gives health to the community when you have your roads in a, in a good spot. You just heard David George just recently elected the vice president of the Fisher City Council and Selena Stoller has been with us, the newly elected president of the Fisher City Council. So Selena and David, thank you very much for taking the time joining me today. Thank you. Thank you.